no, 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 no doubt, no doubt. Okay, so I'm at this art museum with my cousin Ignacio, right? And there was this like abstract expressionism exhibit. But you know me, I'm more like a neo-cubist kind of guy, right? But there was this one Rothko that was sublime, bro. Oh my God. Luis. Okay, sorry, sorry. I, I just, you know, uh, I just get excited and stuff. But anyway, anyway, and Ignacio tells me, yo, I met this crazy fine writer chick at the spot last night. Like, fine, fine, like crazy, stupid, fine. And he goes up to the bartender and goes, look at the girl I'm with. You know what I'm saying? She's crazy, stupid, fine, right? And the bartenders are all like, yeah, crazy, stupid, fine. So this writer chick tells Ignacio, yo, I'm like a boss in the world of guerrilla journalism, and I got mad connects with the peeps behind the curtains, you know what I'm saying? Ignacio's like, for real? And she's like, yeah. You know what? I can't tell you who my contact is because he works with the Avengers. Oh, no. Yeah, and this dude sounds like a badass, man. Like, he comes up to him and says, yo, I'm looking for this dude who's new on the scene, who's, like, flashing this fresh tack, who's got, like, bomb moves, right? Who you got? She's like, well, we got everything nowadays. We got a guy who jumps. We got a guy who swings. We got a guy who crawls up the walls. You got to be more specific. And he's like, I'm looking for a guy that shrinks. And I'm like, damn, I got all nervous because I keep mad secrets for you, bro. I'm Griffin. I'm Molly. And we're going into the Superverse. Dun, dun, dun. We're here to wrap up phase two of the MCU. This is phase two's ending? Yeah. Were people upset that they were ending it with Ant-Man? I don't know if upset, but I certainly thought it was a little weird that we go from Age of Ultron to ending on this note. But it's kind of like ending phase three with Spider-Man instead of Endgame, you know? They, well, that was dumb. Yeah. But... They, they won't let it just like go out on an Avengers movie. Um, I was thinking that, so we're talking about Ant-Man, um, which came out in 2015, a year of many Marvel movies. Yeah, um, um, well. Right? Actually. Weren't there like three in 2015? 2015. I actually think 2015 might just have been Age of Ultron in this. Okay. My mistake. I think. Not Guardians. Unless I'm forgetting something. No, Guardians was the year before. There was a bit of a lull, I think. Okay. Well, either way, um, I was thinking that this was probably like one of the least anticipated movies, but then because of that, like had such a high reward. Yeah. Like low expectations, high reward. I agree. Um, I think for maybe there were different perspectives on it. So it was like for people that were in the know, I guess, for people that had followed the MCU and the development of stuff they were aware that an Ant-Man movie had been in some form of development for a pretty long time. Um, in 2006, actually, Edgar Wright, who did Hot Fuzz, Shaun of the Dead, all that, he was hired to direct and co-write with this other guy, Joe Cornish. And they had continued writing like through 2013. Um, and... Edgar Wright was attached to it for a long time. Like Paul Rudd was cast while he was still on it. And then he left in 2015, like right before they actually started shooting. Yeah. I think it was a lot of like him not wanting to kind of be hamstrung by the interconnectivity of the MCU. There's like heart. Well, I guess we do have that one scene. Yeah. I don't like, we don't really know what the specifics were. I guess it was just creative differences. His name is still on uh, the credits for the script, but the I think the original plan was for Ant-Man to be like a phase one character and be included in the Avengers along with the Wasp. 
and at that time, or maybe not then, when Paul Rudd was cast, but I think Hank Pym was considered to uh, be like the like just doing a Hank Pym yeah, story, not Scott. Um, well, kind of getting into the notes, but they start the movie with I think it's kind of a tease. They do this flashback of like old Stark days, old Shield days. And they have this scene with um, Daddy Stark and Peggy um, and Hank. And it's very short. It sets up what we need to know about Hank and, like, his relationship with Stark. But, like, we never get another scene like that until, like, I guess Endgame when they go back in time. But, like, kind of a tease, right? It is. I mean... Like, I'm kind of sad we never get more of this. I agree. It's just, that's like a period of time that, yeah, we don't get to revisit all that often. And would be interesting. I know. I totally agree. I mean, I guess in some ways Agent Carter was going to do, I mean, that was more like immediately after, but still. Yeah. And that I feel like I haven't actually watched Agent Carter, but my understanding is that's more of like her escapades and less like S.H.I.E.L.D. stuff. Right. Although I know that the Stark guy is in it. He's a different actor playing Howard Stark, but he's in the show. Um, yeah, I remember being really excited about this scene. I just, it was not something that I had anticipated. I knew next to nothing about any of these characters, um, especially like Hank Pym's involvement with S.H.I.E.L.D. And I just thought it was really cool. And, you know, seeing Peggy was just a... Just a nice little bonus. Yeah, that actress is really getting a lot of bang for Marvel's buck. Yeah. Or she's getting a lot of buck for Marvel's bang. They Something like that. We get the same, Sure, y'all. sure, sure, sure. Um, I also remember being really impressed with the de-aging CGI. And looking at it now, it's like a little rough, I thought. Like, it still looks good. Oh, for, for Hank. Yeah. For Michael for, Douglas. I was like, everyone else, they like, well, I guess her, they kind of aged up. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah, it's and at the time it was great and now I think like it's it's been like very incremental upgrades or advances in that field and like the one that we saw like in a Book of Boba Fett that was like crazy and they were showing it off for the characters that they were de Oh in that. yeah. Um so we we've, we've come a long way in 7 years, but it still looks good and it was pretty bold. To be like, all right, like this is what we're starting the movie with. I mean, it kind of helps that is Kurt Douglas, uh, Michael Douglas, Michael Douglas. I think Kurt's his dad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, that Michael Douglas, um, kind of aged well. Like, I mean, yeah. he definitely is older, but like, he looks good for like, I don't know, ninety. Just kidding, he's not that old, but he's pretty. <laughs> he's pretty up there. Yeah, he's. I I have no idea. Especially I, now. I mean, this was obviously seven years ago, but I've seen him at like awards show and, and I think he's, he's aged quite a bit just in seven years, but still yeah. did great. He's got a up. couple punches in. Yeah, man, this fucking Carson guy, like who invited you? You're, you're uh, in here with some scientific greats and, uh, right. I mean, who you are, you have no legacy, man. I feel like this is classic shield. This is why they became a corrupt organization because, yeah, they didn't do a very good job of vetting the people. And like he is showing you who he is and you see that and 
don't care. Right. And I mean, we're lo- we're asking like somebody like Daddy Stark to be the arbiter of that. But look at what he did. He created military weapons and like armed um, militia for a living. Same as this guy ends up doing. Right. Yeah. I mean, S.H.I.E.L.D. was already headed in a not great direction. And it's. Well, I that- just mean like Stark is not like our moral. No, absolutely not. Compass. No, no, no. But uh, it's I when we were watching the scene, I was like, I could see why there's this frustration because like the pin particles are such like an advanced breakthrough. But Hank Pym knows what they would do with it if given access. And he's right. I mean, he's totally right. And uh, I also definitely got shades of the uh, what if episode with Hank Pym when they're like, Hank Pym is not a security threat unless we make him a security threat. I, I also was kind of keeping my antennas, <laughs> my aunt antennas out <laughs> for um, references to some of the what if plots. Yeah. Um, and I think that it does lay really good groundwork. Um, I think we'll get to it probably in a little bit. And, I mean, the last thing I'll say, kind of on the prequel part or the flashback, um, is, like, there is questions of, so, S.H.I.E.L.D. is a government agency, and Hank Pym is working for S.H.I.E.L.D. and has presumably developed this while working for S.H.I.E.L.D. So, like, technically, they do have the right to that particle, because I think it's after this uh, departure that he creates his company, Pym, yeah. whatever, him industries not a really big deal like i'm glad he didn't give it to them but i'm pretty sure like they could have just had it yeah it's a good point but maybe he uh worked out a good contract you know that's on the side say. um yeah so then we cut to um the hero of the story um paul rudd what an interesting casting Great casting. This has the best casting, I feel like, of any movie. It's really good. It's so great. Like, like half my notes were like, oh, what a great cast. And I was like, let me just go back. Uh, Read my last note. Um, But so Paul Rudd obviously brings, like, a really different energy into the series. Um, And we, (laughs) I do think the funny, one of the funniest parts is that, like, I don't know what, um, is it Scott? Yeah. yeah, Scott Lang is supposed to be, like, in the comics, but, like, Paul Rudd is, like, not what you think of when you think of a convict getting out of jail and is, like, I'm not going back to that. Like, I can throw a punch. I Like, he's just, like, so not tough. Um, but, he's like, just a nice guy. But can get by. Like, clearly he can, you know, navigate through a seedy world. Yeah, like, but. he knows what he's doing. But, I mean... I I had a note being like, can we imagine like actual criminal Scott Lang? And then they kind of tell you, I mean, not kind of, they tell you like the crime that he committed that he was convicted of the felony for was like a good crime, kind of like he was like redistributing wealth, you know, from millionaires, which is funny to me because like, I don't know if that was the case with the comic character. But it was like, he's like... Like, he's still um, a hero. He's an ethical criminal, like, to an extent, you know? 
Right. But he keeps using this language like to everyone else, like I'm out, I'm getting out of this business. It's like, didn't you just do like one crime? Yeah. Like, it makes it sound like he was a career criminal. Yeah. Or that he had done multiple things leading up to that, which I was like, maybe that is the case. Like maybe he did other stuff and then was like, now that I'm ready, I'm going yeah, after this Yeah, we just don't stuff. hear about it. I want that to be the case. Like, I want him to have more of a history because, like, him just being, like, one and done and then having this, like, mad reputation and everyone's like, yeah, you're the guy that robbed Vista. I'm right. Like, he got busted on his first, like, job and now like, right. has a reputation for being, like, good at his job. I don't... That doesn't make any sense. I guess he did technically succeed. Yeah. And then got caught. Sure. Um... I mean, I guess he is like the infamy as like somebody like a Snowden, like where we know that person's name. Like obviously that was like a lot bigger, yeah. but I can get I guess I can see why he would have like some reputation, especially like in San Francisco. Yeah. It that just makes sense. It is pretty local. We're not talking on a global scale here. Um, but like Hank's got his eye on him. Right, of course. And I think the most realistic aspect of his story in this movie is that he has a master's in electrical engineering and can still not even get a job at Baskin Robbins. Wow. That just tells you what we're dealing with. I mean, this the message of this movie is that felons deserve more rights restored upon release. Thank you, Peyton Reed, for making this hardline political stance. But we do get the classic line that Baskin Robbins always finds out. <laughs> I know. Uh, okay. Next great casting, Mr. Mike Pena, Michael, Mikey to his friends. Yes, uh, probably. Yes, incredible <laughs> casting. So, I mean, him and the rest of the the three wombats, as I will refer to them, much like Hank Pym did, are just like, it's so good. I, I think you that was very important to T. like. T.I. T.I., and then I don't know what that David Das Small Chain. I've seen him Kurt, pop up in He was in the Suicide stuff. Squad. Yeah. Oh yeah. He was yeah, the he Dark Knight guy. He's he's great. Like, and I think um, having such a good supporting cast is pretty integral to this movie. That's what it it's what makes it work so well. And Bobby Cannavale. Cannavale. Love him. Yeah, he's always great. He's so good. Yeah. I, uh, I always enjoy him in every movie. The so little they, girl that plays Cassie. Yeah. And uh, the actress that plays his ex-wife. I know. I see her I'm in forgetting. literally everything. Yeah. And like, she's hilarious. I gotta look so, her up. So yeah, they've just like created this stacked cast. Even uh, Darren Cross being played by Corey Stoll. This is, I think, probably the second thing that I saw Corey Stolen after House of Cards. Yeah, I only saw him in House of Cards. He, I mean, he's great, and he yeah. plays, like, unhinged bad guy really right. well. I mean, like, I think his character was kind of criticized as being, like, kind of generic, like, corporate villain. Judy Greer as uh, Maggie. Yeah, she's great. So, I, I do think uh, Darren Cross is kind of a stereotypical character, but I also think that Corey Stoll's performance is great regardless of that. Yeah, because I mean, he's just like, the whole time you're like, what is his deal? Like, on, like intentionally, and he's like, so desperate for Hank's approval that like, he's just doing all of this for that. Right. Slash to like, shove it up to him, but it's also like, he's so desperate for him to be like, you got me. Yeah. Yeah, it really makes you wonder what happened there because I can't, 
I struggle to picture them having like an actual mentor mentee relationship. Right. It's that is hard to and like Hank has this like very intimate line being like, I saw too much of myself in you. And like they're not well, Darren doesn't look that old, but I guess like that was like a long time ago. Yeah. And he's supposed to be like really smart. He's like, I could have like worked anywhere, which might be just him saying that. But I yeah, I think that would have been more interesting to see like a little bit more of that background, even if it was given to us in like some sort of flashback. Yeah. Um, even if they had like a recording of like them on in the lab together that they he was like reviewing. That would like, be cool. Just to see what it looked like. I mean, yeah. since they were already doing this de-aging stuff. Right. Yeah, I it wasn't like super necessary, I guess, but I would have appreciated that. Like um, I bought it. Right, so did I. But more context is always cool. I do know that Hank Pym, over the course of his time in Marvel Comics history, has been portrayed to be a, a real piece of shit. Like, at one point, was, like, physically abusing uh, Janet and, like... Wait, what? Hank Pym was, like, an abuser in the comics at one point. Like, of was Michelle a wife Piper? beater. Yeah. Oh, no. So, and he wasn't, he wasn't always depicted like that, and he hasn't been since then. But, like, he was kind of, like, a blend of, like, the worst parts of, like, Reed Richards... And, like, all of the smart characters like that combined with, like, a tendency to, like, being prone to violence and things like that. So I think that was part of the reason why they went with Scott Lang instead of Hank Pym because they knew they would have to, like, grapple with that. Otherwise, people would be upset. And I'm wondering if, like, the implication of that line to Darren Cross was, like, I he knows that he has a tendency to act certain ways and he didn't want anyone else to, like, be learning that behavior from him. And that way they could kind of acknowledge it without having to outright address all the shitty stuff that the character has a history of doing. Right. Like you see him lose his temper multiple times. Like he's obviously like punched a couple of dudes. He also like loses it with hope, not physically, but he's like, leave it alone, you know? Yeah. He like snaps and then like obviously feels like regret about it, but doesn't really do anything to fix it. I think it's kind of surprising that Darren Cross's whole thing is like, I knew that you had the Ant-Man thing and he, and uh, Michael Douglas has always been like, no, I don't. And that no one has confirmed it. Like Darren Cross is clearly like friendly with this Carson guy who like knows about the Ant-Man thing. Like no one has like confirmed it is like wild. Yeah. Kind of crazy. They must have them under some real strict NDAs. I mean, maybe he just, like, met this Carson guy, so he, like, I don't know. Yeah, just, like, business partners. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think he wanted to hear it from Hank. Yeah, the, for the satisfaction of it. The old time he, like, wore flashbacks to Hank Pym, Ant-Man, are so cool. And I I mean, I know we get, like, a bit more of that in the sequel, I think, too, but it's it's cool to kind of see that in a bit of a gap in MCU history where, you know, like when it first started, we weren't, we were led to believe that there weren't really any superheroes until Iron Man. Well, well, yeah, Captain America. And then when he comes back, but there was such a long gap between that. And like, since then we've learned that Captain Marvel was around, but you know, that was only for a couple of years back in the nineties. And then she pieced out again yeah, I feel like she doesn't really count. No. Because like, she's not doing anything for the U.S. Right. So knowing that an Ant-Man was out there in whatever uh, year that was, I guess sometime in like the 70s yeah. or 60s. 
I mean, it makes sense. Well, one, because it's S.H.I.E.L.D. and they had clearly created the super serum. Right. Um, and that, like, they aren't drawing attention to themselves. So, like, and I'm sure, like, obviously in the, in the um, comics, but, like, even in, like, Marvel, the MCU's um, canon, they could probably be like, oh, well, this person was around. Like, I'm, again, willing to buy it, but, like, this one, like, definitely, like, makes sense. Right. No, it's totally believable. Um, so we get, like, this whole presentation that Darren Cross gives. And, you know, he has the nerve to create, like, this little model building that has Cross technologies instead of PIM technologies on it. Which is, yeah, that, that takes some nerve. But obviously he is uh, creating weapons to sell to the, not even the highest bidder, really. Honestly, it sounds like Hydra might be getting a bit of a deal on the yellow jacket suits. What? No, he's getting it for twice what. Oh, tw- okay, he asked, never mind. Yes, pl- but then he's like, "But I'm keeping the fuel. You'll have to keep buying it." Right, right, right. Very sneaky. Well, so, and no, he's not giving them a deal. Yeah, but. and Carson was basically like, "I'll pay you whatever for it. Yeah, like, I want this." Because Hydra's got unlimited money. Well, yeah, and he's like, "I'm still upset." Right. Yeah, he <laughs> he's really holding on to that anger. But I mean, look, I, I do think Darren Cross has like the intellect rivaling Hank Pym. He was able to develop the yellow jacket suit, which although it's taken out very, not very easily, but it's taken out by Scott Lang in the, the course of one movie. That's just one. And his idea of an army of yellow jackets is a pretty terrifying prospect. Yeah, especially because he's got the buzz buzz thing. Yeah, the on buzz it. buzz thing. And I mean, that dude that unfortunately gets turned into jelly and flushed down a toilet as a result of his back talking to Cross is totally right. Like, come on, man. Like, you. Like, yeah, it, when he's like, like that, unhinged early on. Right. And I know that um, I think there's a bit of a theory, and I don't know if it's ever confirmed or maybe even mentioned in the, the later part of the movie. I should remember, we just watched it yesterday. But Hank Pym talks about how he can't wear the suit anymore because it, like, had yeah. like negative impacts on him because he was wearing it for so long. So it's like has hope I don't says know, that has to uh, him. has Darren Cross been like wearing secretly wearing like the yellow jacket suit to like experiment and practice with it, and that's like fucking with his head. I don't know. I guess, but yeah, hope says like you're just like messed up. From yeah, them. which is not really something that we're probably ever going to explore. Right, because like cause, Scott seems fine. Yeah, Scott would be fucked. I mean, I don't know how long we're supposed to believe. Hank was, like, actively, like, wearing the Ant-Man suit back in the day. I think pretty often. Yeah. And I don't think Scott's wearing it that much. No, he's not. That's why I'm saying, like, yeah. for all we know, like, Scott just hasn't reached that level yet. I and don't know. Darren's just, like, incredibly susceptible slash was already like that. Yeah. <laughs> and Hope, I think, is just saying that to try and mitigate the situation. Definitely. So speaking of Hope, she's doing a fun thing which i forgot in this movie that she's like introduces like helping darren but then it's like very quickly she's like helping hank um and she's like playing this double agent role which is where i was gonna say like really makes sense for like the whole what if plot is that shield recruited hope and that she was like an agent for them i'm like well this totally makes sense because she's like playing the field she's like an agent in the field like all that she make a great spy yeah I mean, technically, like, they didn't succeed on their spy side, but I feel like she was doing a really good job. Agreed. 
uh, yeah, she she definitely puts on. Well, she's not even really putting on a front with Hank. Like, no, she does. Like, there's no. She calls him Hank for one thing. Like, that's not that's not acting. But all the stuff with with Cross is because obviously she knows what he's about, and it's nothing good. And I don't know if I've where I've jumped because I didn't take enough notes on this movie to remember like where the plot beats are, but. I guess, uh, do we talk about, like, actually getting shrunken down? Well, first? yeah, so, like, the next thing that happens plot-wise is we get a tip. Right. From of Michael course. Pena. The first monologue. The first story, um, which leads them to uh, stealing the yes. suit. Um, which is a great little heist scene. It really is. And God, like, whoever's, I mean, I guess it was Edgar Wright, the writer, um, his idea of doing like these Louise monologues. And so like on their own, they're fantastic. And then like the idea of like having different actors and they're like actually like, lip syncing to what Louise is saying. Like, oh, he's telling yeah, the story yeah, yeah. is it's so good. It's so fucking funny to me. And it just like makes something. It's such been, a like, silly bit, but like it works so well. Right. And they, they can just keep revisiting it as much as they want. Cause it does not get old. Cause Michael Pena is so good at delivering it. I love it so much. Um, yeah. So then we, um, then we get him like stealing the suit and him getting arrested. Oh no, that's when he puts it back, but he's, he tries it out first. Yeah. So we get the scene where, so he thinks it's just like an old motorcycle. Yeah. Suit, Cause it, that is exactly what it looks like. It looks like a leather suit with some, Fancy looking lining on it. I don't but know. But behind like three doors of protection. Right. So he like gets in the bathtub, which is, I mean, fair. There's clearly not a lot of privacy in that apartment. And uh, so, yeah, we, we get the first shrinking scene here. And I don't know, of all places to shrink down to the size of an ant for the first time, I guess a bathtub's not that bad. It's going to be... um Water. Well, you know... If the pipes. If no one had turned the water on, look, you know, there's worse places that he could have pressed that button is all I'm saying. However, my bigger question is, why did Luis turn the water on? And then was he, you know, he just kind of like, I thought he was getting on the toilet after he turned the water on, but I guess he was going to take a shower. He was definitely peeing. Yeah. I mean, he strode into that bathroom with determination on his face. I just always find that very funny because he like gets home and then two seconds later, he's like, you know what? It's bath time. Um, but this is a really great like intro to the very unique perspective that we get from the Ant-Man movies. Um, it's just like an opportunity for them to have fun with that idea. Just mess around with like the size thing. It's very Stuart Little, it's very borrowers. Yeah. Um, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, pretty much any shrinking movie, um, and I love it. It is I mean, fun. It's a fun way to show yeah. the world. I love the next movie when they play with, like, the cars a lot. Mm-hmm. That's, That's really, really fun. fun. To, yeah, for sure. But, like, I just, yeah, I just love, like, random household objects being presented as, like, these giant things. It kind of also reminds me of, like, Toy Story a bit, yeah. in a way. Um, and I just it makes me very happy that they were able to like have such fun with it. Cause I remember like the first trailer 
And even, the trailer had some funny parts when the poster came out and it just looked like a standard like MCU poster and everyone was like, are they going to like try to do Ant-Man really seriously? <laughs> like, what is going on? And then like, of course, you start watching and you're like, oh, that is not the case at all. I mean, they even have like the song that plays over the like MCU or the Marvel Studios intro is like not the normal fanfare. It's like it sets the tone right off the bat. I didn't notice that. Yeah, is I don't I don't bus? remember what it was. No, it wasn't, but it should have been. Or the van noise. Yeah. <laughs> um, so kind of in between this is um, between these like two stealing moments. Cross is like doing his experiments. He's getting closer and closer. But like my thought was he's just doing the same experiment over and over again. And it doesn't appear that he's changing his formula at all. No, he's like just, oh, this test subject died. Call in the next one. I'm like, that's the definition of insanity. I was literally just about to say that. Like just doing the same thing over and over again. These other scientists must be like losing their shit. They're like, we only have so many of these. Although they, they're probably doing fine money and resources wise too. So maybe not. They can just keep killing as many sheep as they want. Um, oh, but I forgot to say like daytime rave during the shrinking. Yeah, man. I don't know what's going on in that apartment building. Um, the, the party just never stops, I guess. I don't know. You know, I, I feel like Scott would have gotten really messed up by that needle on the turntable. Yeah, I was should, should have cut him in half. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. He got off lucky. He really went through some shit, you know. We didn't need to see that rat. Oh, my God. That was horrifying. But realistic for that building, I have a feeling. Oh, definitely. I didn't like the noise it made. No, I. every time we watch it, I forget that it's a rat because it sounds like a dog. Yeah. No, it was bad. Um, no, thank you. <laughs> and uh, I know that when he uh, eventually falls... Out of the building, onto the roof of the car, the guy that's in the car um, was an actor. I forget what his name is, but he had played Ant-Man, like, on a TV show. Oh, really? I love oh, when they I do really that. I really wish I could remember off the top of my head what it was, but I'm going to have to figure it out. It actually might have been on, like, SNL, like, back in the 80s or something. Um yeah, he portrayed a he portrayed Ant Man in a 1979 sketch, and they just like had him in there as a, as a reference, which I think is really cool. What a great pull for somebody yeah. to figure that out. And even got a line. Um, yeah, really great scene, and the reveal that like Hank Pym had, uh, you know guided this whole thing to ensure that Scott was the one to get it, and I don't know how. Yeah, like, or, they do, like, explain why Scott, but it's, like, they explain it, but it doesn't really explain it. No, like, <laughs> there's not really a reason to me that it has to be Scott, but I guess it makes sense because Hank would have known who he was because he had this notoriety, but I don't know. Um, but, you know, glad it worked out because we all love Scott here, don't we? Um, some more casting shout-outs. So we've got this whole, like, police... You know, this is also a thread in the two Ant-Man movies that's really fun is that there's always, like, kind of a bumbling cop going after Scott. And in this case, it's Cassie's stepdad, Bobby. Um, right? 
Well, that's the actor's name. Yeah. Paxton. Paxton. And then his partner is Avon Barksdale from The Wire. Which is, yeah, that was... I love that for him. I don't know, like, that, that casting choice. I haven't seen... I think the uh, actor's name is Wood Harris. I haven't seen him in that much stuff besides. I feel like he probably hasn't done that much. Yeah, but he was great here. Kind of an opposite role. Yeah, he gets some fun moments. Um, but yeah, so they they're like the two like bumbling cops going after Scott the whole movie, and I think it's very fun bits the whole time. And then I love that our continuation of that is with Cho in yep. uh, the next movie. So I think that's really good. Um, and yeah, we just get like these really funny scenes with like Bobby and Judy Greer and like Cassie and like that. You just get everyone's dynamic in such few scenes. Yeah, and Cassie is so funny because she's just like so good. Got Scott's back the entire time, being like, "I hope you don't catch him." Like, she's, but she also she's does genuinely in. love Bobby. Yeah, yeah. Paxton. No, she's and he's like a really good stepdad. I know. I'm like a, really gonna miss like this version of Cassie. I know because she's, she's like, like a teenager. Is she supposed to be considered in like the Young Avengers? Um, Is her name been floated around? I think so, but to what extent we don't know. I kind of like don't feel like we need that, but I really liked the young actress that played her. Yeah, they'll probably hint at it at least in the next Ant Man movie. If if yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Um. So we get like a lot of, I, I guess Hank Pym gives Scott the exposition on like what's going on. He debriefs him. Gives him the whole rundown. Briefs him. Right. Yes. <laughs> and uh, we basically find out like why Hank Pym resorted to the measures of finding someone like Scott to, to do this job. And I we get like this great line, which is just, I think at surface level, it's kind of like... Uh, See, we're in the MCU line, which is Scott being like, our first step should be calling the Avengers. And Hank Pym being like, no, like, not not for this. And like, they're probably too busy, like, dropping cities out of the oh sky anyway. Gosh. Which I'm like, like, I'm like, okay, we get it. Here's a billboard saying, this movie is connected to the MCU. Like, that's a line I could see the old director being mad about. But like, if that's the only line. Exactly. But then we do go to the... And downtown. what I do... I mean, I'm reading into this line in a way that I don't think is necessary because I do think that was just like a token MCU line. Um, but, you know, I I think that Hank Pym would have some sort of lingering animosity towards Tony Stark because... Oh, he, he says it. Right. So, yeah, like he knows like he was like his dad. And it it does make me upset that we never got a scene where Hank Pym encountered... Tony. Oh, yeah. That would have been good. Because there was already, like, this thing that came out of Age of Ultron, which was Hank Pym was, like, a co-creator of Ultron originally. Actually, Hank Pym might have just created Ultron. I don't even think Tony Stark may have been involved, um, which is obviously discarded because that wasn't going to happen. It made way more sense in the movie for Tony to do it. But if we had gotten at some at some point between this and Endgame, where they could have just, like, had a talk about, like, the morality of, like, what they've been doing and, like, his relationship with Howard. I think it would have been really, really cool. Because we, we have, like, another flashback with, like, a younger Hank Pym in Endgame. But, you know, right. we don't... I mean, yeah, I think there was, like, an opportunity in Civil War to do it because that's when Ant-Man's being introduced to the rest of the team. And, like, 
I don't know if they address it in Ant-Man 2, I guess, because um, at some point, Michael Douglas is, like, very upset that Scott took the suit to go hang out with the Avengers group. And, like, they could have, like, swung something into that whole thing of having them have some sort of conversation and being, like, I don't give a shit about what's going on here. I'm just here to get my suit back. And, like, them having an interaction then. It would have been really cool. Or something like that. I don't know. I mean, like... There's I, too much going on Right, for like, that, they, they weren't going to put, like, a random scene with Michael Douglas in the middle of Civil War, and they sure as hell weren't going to get... They weren't going to put Tony Stark in an Ant-Man movie, because that would have doubled the budget. Yeah. But, uh, you know, obviously not something crucial, but just not... It's it's cool that we had, like, this kind of generational... Not even rivalry, because that implies that there's two sides, but all this history between these two families, but... Like, Hank is very aware of Tony Stark. Right. And we just don't hear about Hank Pym outside of the Ant-Man movies very much, which he's supposed to be, like, this titan of industries. Right. And I'm sure if you asked Tony, he would say, oh, yeah, like, and give a quick rundown and being like, he's, like, you know, not important. Like, he's out of touch. He's, you know, out of the game or whatever. Um, Something flippant. But um, I'm sure he, like, knows who he is. Definitely. So I think one of the weakest parts of the movie for me is like trying to establish Hank and Hope's relationship um, and that they've had all of these issues with like the mom, a.k.a. Michelle Pfeiffer in the next movie and how she like just died and that Hope doesn't even know how she died and that Hank has never told her and they haven't really spoken about this for, like, what, 25, 30 years? Yeah. And that she goes off to boarding school, becomes CEO of his company, and then takes it over. And now they're, like, fine. And, like, do have a relationship. And then all of a sudden, be- well, obviously, like, they're talking about it all. But, like, because Scott's there, he's like, okay, now I'm going to tell you this thing that I've been literally keeping from you for 30 years. Yeah. It's so dumb, and I get we have to go on a journey and an arc with everybody, but this was weak. Yeah, I didn't really think about it like that, but it kind of makes sense what you're saying. Like, what's his impetus for, like, finally saying this now? I mean, because they're talking about it. Like, this is one of the first times it's come up, probably. Like, he's been doing, you know, they haven't been doing stuff with the Ant-Man. Yeah, yeah. In the last, you know, 25 years. Yeah, and I'm wondering if, like, if if Scott being there and, like, now there's, like, someone else who is, like, kind of been in his shoes, maybe. Or even, like, the fact that Scott is there to, like, witness this interaction between Hank and Hope where he, like, shuts her down and is, like, I'm not going to do this. Where it kind of, like, makes him realize that, oh, like, Maybe this is, like, not healthy behavior. Like, maybe I shouldn't be bottling up, like, the greatest trauma of both of our lives, but... I actually don't think it has anything to do with Scott. Like, I think it's more her just, like, pushing him over and over again to want to be in the suit and, like, him just not really giving a reason and, like, him thinking he's going to lose her either way now, again, Right. I guess. Which, like, all of that are real stakes. I think that all works. It's just like, what, what are you telling us their relationship has been for the last 30 years or 25? I don't know how old she's supposed to be, but, um, 
And, like, what what is the story that you're telling with them? And, like, clearly, like, that's not what this movie's about. But if you're setting up Ant-Man and the Wasp, like, it should be about that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Like, I, mean, I think Hope's character gets a disservice in this movie. I think so, too. Which is a shame. Because, like, what the backstory of, like, what actually happens and the way that that develops in the future is cool. But, yeah, I... That's true. I mean, I wish there was a way that they could have made it happen more organically. Like, I like, think... It's, I mean, sorry, no, it's good. It's just... It's, it's hard to believe, like, what their relationship has been. Like, if that's... That's such a huge block. It's like, have they really been, like, this cold for so long? Like, why are they even still talking to each other? Right. Like, I almost think it would make more sense if, like, she does know the reason why and resents her dad for it. Like... You're the reason she's gone. Right. And this is why, this is her motivation. Their motivation is the same. Like, they both don't want anyone to get that um, particle or whatever because they both know how dangerous it is. And, like, that's her issue with her dad. And maybe they grapple with that. Or he tells her more, which, like, because he's also guilt. He feels guilty. So he, like, just allowed her to blame him, kind of. And then it's, like, revealed, you know, whatever else mm. you know that i think mm-hmm. that could have been a better way to tell that i think story. that would have been really good but I, I guess for like dramatic effect they wanted to like be able to have hank reveal it i mean you could still reveal it to scott right but i, I guess they like couldn't get that emotional beat in when they wanted it to is my guess like and she says it. she's like i don't know why it took you this long to tell me like she just says it i'm like yeah same same hope he probably doesn't either. He's probably like, damn, I just fucking wasted, like, so much of my relationship with my daughter because I was just, like, stubborn. Right. But it makes uh, sense for him to do that. I mean, yeah. Then, he, he's that kind of guy. He's a stubborn person. I mean, other than that, I don't really have any issues with, like, the writing of the movie or, like, the story being told. It was kind of just that part that I was like, this this could have been stronger. Absolutely. But it was good setup. Um, for, you know, what we find out later on. And I, I really love like how they handle Janet in the sequel. So there's that. And I mean, it was such a, you know, knowing that was just like another cool, like character moment for, for Hank and the history of Ant-Man, like being sent on these covert missions that no other superhero, even if another superhero like Ant-Man existed on the earth at the time could handle. Um, and it just provided like more context for Hank Pym's history. And of course it's like a good setup for what happens at the end of the movie. It was like the regulator and stuff. So, right. Right. I mean, yeah, I mean, we need to have this story. Yeah. It's, it's just the, the, it's more about their relationship. Yeah. I get that. Um, but moving along, I forgot that we have this, like, Avengers compound yeah. scene. Oh, man. With Anthony Mackie. And who is he talking to? Do we know? Who's, Probably who else just, is like, there? Well, they have, like, a full staff. I know, but is it, like, I thought it was maybe another event. I, for some reason, no. thought there were two people in this. No, I think he's just talking to, like, yeah, whomever. compound security. Whoever Robin, the Avengers trust to do that. Maria yeah. Hill. Um, yeah, I, I was so stoked when they did this cause they didn't hint at this at all in the trailers or anything. Uh, so it definitely came as a surprise. 
I saw that they they brought Falcon in as a cameo for this because Paul Rudd went to go see the Winter Soldier with Adam McKay. I don't know if Adam McKay was involved in this movie or not, but they loved Anthony Mackie in it so much that they suggested working him into the pot of Ant-Man. And Kevin Feige was like, uh, yeah, sure. Like he's living there now. So it makes sense for him to in be Atlanta? like, in Atlanta. No, like the character is living on the Avengers. Compound. Oh, oh, so it made sense for him to be there. And it's like, it's such a great fit. Like of all the Avengers that were established at the end of age of Ultron for him to be the one hanging around. And I'm guessing kind of like put on the grunt duty of defending the <laughs> Avengers compound. Like, of course it would be Falcon. Yeah, no, it does make sense. Like, and I like their dynamic, and that continues obviously in Civil War. Um, yeah, I, I it was like a cute kind of scene, and we it's also kind of a precursor for like Civil War. It's like the first time we're seeing Avengers fighting each other. Yeah, and although we don't consider, I guess, Ant Man an Avenger right yet. But it's also just like I, it was really cool to like just see that continuity like so soon after Age of Ultron had come out, and just. You know, we didn't know really specifically where things were going to go after Age of Ultron. We knew, like, what had been announced, but for the Avengers continuity, I mean, this is the only movie between Age of Ultron and Civil War, like, which is kind of wild to me. Like, we... Oh, we really? Make, we make this leap. When is Homecoming? 2017. Because I thought part of Homecoming's plot was that they were, like, moving everything to the compound. Um... Well, I mean, yeah. It is, but, like, they're just shutting down the tower. I don't even know if they're moving that stuff to the compound. Yeah. Pro- oh, yeah, no, they are. You're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, um, yeah, no, it's, we, we kind of make this jump, but this is helpful to get, like, a bit more of, like, here's what's going on right now. Like, things are fine. Like, things are good. They yeah. have, like, an established team and a compound, and things are relatively chill for them. Also, again, these movies are related, we promise. Right. Which is funny that they, I feel like they were, like, neon signing that in this, and in Guardians, like, they do not care about making sure you know that it's connected. And I don't know if that's, like, on purpose, but, um, like, that's how I see it. Yeah. I think so. Um, yeah, I mean, so, one of the next... I'm, like, kind of at the end of the movie, which I was just going to say, like, so we're this movie is, like, leading up to a single event, this, like, re- release of the thing or whatever, and I'm glad that Marvel movies don't do this often, but I liked how it was done in this, where it's, like, this whole movie is leading towards, like, one event that we all know about. Like, well, what do you mean? Like, from the very beginning they know that it's, like, this event is where everything's going to go down. Oh, right. Um, And that, like, it's all, they're all, like, you know, it's a heist movie. They're all leading towards this, like, one day. Um, And I think most movies aren't doing that. It's not, like, you know, a doomsday clock or, like, oh, like, there's going to be a gala at the end of the year. And, like, they keep hinting at this, like, gala. Like, they don't do that in a lot of movies, which I think is good that to use it sparingly because it's, like, kind of can be an overdone feature. But I think it works really well in this movie, I guess. Yeah, that is, that's a good point. I mean, yeah, they, I honestly do wish they had leaned into it even harder as being just, like, a heist movie. But I understand why they, like, couldn't without, Maybe like, the Russo brothers were doing I mean, yeah, but... 
I, I, it was still really fun. And like, yeah, you're right. I mean, so much of the movie is like, cause it's all leading up to this. Yeah. Training to make sure that he can do all exactly. the training, the ants and learning about all the different kinds of ants. And it's all for this, this like specific thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't, as the audience know the whole plan and like all that stuff, which is yeah. always fun. Um, I do, it reminds me of like, <laughs> this is a movie from my childhood that will probably not resonate with a lot of people, but catch that kid with Kristen Stewart. Um, it reminds me of that movie where they're like gearing up to like rob this bank. And like, that's what the whole movie is like gearing towards. And that's like kind of how this feels. Yeah. And they've got their little getaways and like all that stuff. (laughs) Oh, so good. And I mean, you know, everyone I think was a little bit surprised that Kurt and Louise and T.I.'s character, whose name I've forgotten. Was it like Dave or something? Yeah. Um, are actually somewhat adequate at their jobs. Uh, except for maybe don't drive the van with the La Cucaracha horn on it. Yeah, but T.I. really came in the clutch there. He, he really did. I also forgot that, like, that, you know, they have uh, Paxton, like, catch on to them because he hears the van horn. And I forgot that he had heard it earlier in the movie. At the birthday right. party. I think the last time we watched it, he was just like, Oh, like, what the fuck is that honking? And then, like, saw the van, but no. I mean, it's very distinct. He's like, no, I know who's here. (laughs) It's also very Ocean's Eleven. It is. I mean, anytime we want, like, any heist movie that we watch just makes me want to watch Ocean's Eleven. All right, let's let's watch it. For the pod. It's a super... Danny Ocean's basically a superhero, so... He thinks he is. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so now we're, we're in it. We're in the end game. We of are. the movie. So there's a lot of shit going on at this heist. Let me tell you. Tell us. I mean, we've got a tank on a keychain, which is one of my favorite little bits about this movie. Although, you know, Would like, you see that, sorry, from like the first time uh, Scott goes and robs the house, he grabs the keys with oh, the tank yeah. on it. Just, just me picking up on things. Oh, little, little clues dropped in there. Now, what I'm not going to do is bitch about how the Pym Particle laws don't make any sense, which they don't, but, you know, you we got to give them some leeway here. When we first, like, are talking about Scott going into Ant-Man mode and fighting in Ant-Man mode, Hope is like, you keep your mass so you can't, like, punch too hard because you'll act like a bullet and you can kill somebody with a punch. So you have to like pull your punches and he falls out of the bathtub and cracks the tile, even though he's small because he's still a hundred something pounds, just hitting things really hard. So by that logic, you couldn't really carry a tank on a keychain because it's still going to weigh as much as a tank. Oh, I see what you're saying. In the second movie, he's got the entire skyscraper, his office building on a suitcase with a rolling handle. I love that. Which is great. But like, I'm not, it, to be clear, like, I, people just talk about this a lot, so I had to address it. I'm not bothered by it, but part of me wishes that they just wouldn't have even bothered trying to establish. Like, they should have like, addressed it in some way. Be like, yeah, it's, it's pin particles. Like, it's they, science. It just works. They just, Hank Pym just being like, it just works. Don't ask me any questions. <laughs> I made the formula it's a, a long time ago. It's a prototype that he's working on. Right. It's different now. Also, like, that's for how it goes in the suit. 
he's not using suit technology for this. He's using something else. So, like, I'm willing to be like, that's something else. It's different. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Fuck it, that works. Um, that, I've never thought about that, so that's a good catch, though, to, to point out. I feel like normally I'm the one that points out inconsistencies. It's just been a bit memed over the years, but, like, you know, uh, whatever. Fine. Fair enough. Um, but I'm I'm not going to hold it against them. It's a great, like, reveal. Oh, absolutely. It's totally worth it for that. Um, but, like, before we even get to that, so they're, like, all in this, like, room, like, locked in. It's revealed that Darren knows the whole plan all along, catches Scott, and it's just, like, my note was, like, everyone just wants Daddy Hank's approval. Like. Honestly, yeah. And he's not doling that shit. He's not giving anyone approval. Nope. He's, like, tentative, tight-lipped, like, fine. He's like, I'd rather get shot. Yeah, like, that's the best (laughs) you're going to get, man. Like, just let it go. Like, is it really worth going through all this to get Hank Pym's approval? Yes. I guess. Also, like, just blatantly, like, I'm going to murder this person in front of all these people. And even if you've paid them off, like, too many witnesses. You would have just killed them all. I know, like... He's like flagrantly like just murdering people in this, and I don't know if that tracks. Like, we don't see. I mean, I guess he's supposed to be like a really bad guy, but he's like in society, hired by Hank, like running a company, and he's just like straight up murdering somebody that like brought up a perfectly valid point. <laughs> yeah, like he's not with extreme prejudice, just like. You know what? You talk to me. You say something I don't like. I'm literally going to melt you and flush you down a toilet. Yeah. Like, you can't behave like that in society. Right. We live in a society where you can't behave in such a way. We do, we do live in a society. I wasn't ready to finish that sentence. You don't have to. It's just we live in a society. I mean, you said it Bottom first. text. Yeah, okay. Well. Um, we- <laughs> but yeah, so that is a little, like okay, who is this character that we have just... He's, it's time to go murder mode. You right? Know? Fuck it, whatever. And then poor Scott, who's got one little felony, can't even get a job. And meanwhile, this guy is running a billion-dollar company. That's you, what's man. wrong with America. <laughs> the political undertones of Ant-Man are impossible to ignore. Kind of. It's really radicalized me. Um, yeah, so... Hank does get shot. And honestly, I don't think we were sure if he was going to make it. I thought he was going to make it. Okay, we were sure he wasn't going to. Yeah, we were sure. Were you sure? Also, I mean, honestly, the first time watching, I was like, they could kill him off if they wanted to. Like, I don't know if Michael Douglas is down to keep coming back. But, uh, you know, he says it himself. He's like, I'm not going to die. And I think he just willed that. Yeah. That (laughs) would have been, like, really shitty of, like, Darren. No, that would have sucked. Yeah, no, it would have been a bad ending for his character. So, fortunately not. And then they go on this little, like, again, more fun stuff with, like, perspective. They're, like, falling out of the helicopter. Scott's going after him. They're in that family's pool, which that scene, like, feels like it was pulled out of Spider-Man. Like in the it suburbs does. of that. It looks ex- I mean, they might have used the same there's set. There's a scene very similar right. in Homecoming yeah. when he's in the tent. Um, I mean, 
you know, I just really felt bad for the family. Terrifying. Lovely house, lovely yard. They got a pool. They're just trying to play ping pong and have a barbecue. And in come these two fuckers to ruin it. Getting small, getting big. What the fuck is going on? Can we please just take it somewhere else, boys? Like, just no rough housing by the pool. Yeah, no, no running by the pool. Like, Scott, you knocked over their grill. I hope you went back and... He did try and make it seem like everything was fine. Scarred them for life, in fact. Um, and then it all kind of culminates kind of quickly then at, at in Cassie's room. Yeah. Well, yeah, so Cross is there. He's got the yellow jacket. And, uh, well, Paxton shows up, ever the hero, and in true cop fashion arrests the wrong guy um and almost fucks this whole thing up paxton you almost got your own daughter stepdaughter killed but fortunately the ants are always here to save the day except for poor anthony oh i forgot about anthony sacrificed his life nobly in the line of battle i mean props to this movie for making us care about an ant that all felt very Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, but that was, like, really scary in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Like, an ant's, like, going to attack them in the garden or something. Yeah. No, these are these are good ant friends, and we love them. My favorite, like, visual stuff that they do is in Cassie's room where they are, like, doing this, like, major fight on the train station, and then it cuts away, and, like, the Thomas just, like... Kind clattering of clatters on onto this thing and like it's just so funny it's so good and they do a really good job of being like we know that this is silly and we're back and I then the so train much. gets big and it's scary and like i love all of it yeah like because they are like fighting to the death and like cassie's life is truly in danger here but also there is like this inherent goofiness of these characters that they have to acknowledge and it's very good um oh i forgot so they blow up the um whole building right um and vaporize that shit Luis goes back to get the guy that he knocked out and i just think that was oh, really yeah. sweet and i was really glad they included that in the movie and you see him like carrying him out he's like oh was, i gotta go back for that guy it was really clutch classic um i'm trying to Oh, and Scott, like, reveals himself to Bobby Cavill Paxton. Yeah. When he gets caught, he's like, hey, it's me. Don't worry. We got the guy. You know? And I'm like, why would I you don't... show that it's you? Also, like, you allowed yourself to be caught. He's a... Scott's a slightly naive boy. I know. You know, I think he thought he could appeal to Paxton's reason. Eventually, or at least shock him being like, you know who I am, so you'll let me go. But no. Eventually become best friends. Yes. Good for them. Um, so honestly, like Scott figures out the only way to defeat Cross is to go subatomic. Classic. And, um, pretty pretty brutal death for Cross here. Um, seems deeply unpleasant for all of your limbs to get seemingly crushed into. Like, Nothingness at different times. Yeah. And he's getting all crunched and big yikes moment. But uh, maybe don't threaten to kill children. Right. And again, to what end? Just to like make him unhappy. Yeah. I mean, at least, you know, he got to deliver the legendary line. I want your daddy too. Before he died. 
I still can't really tell if that line was supposed to be like what that reading was supposed to be. But I do love it. Um, yeah, so he went subatomic. Yeah, we get this really quantum cool visual. Yeah, it was some Doctor Strange shit in there, you know? And, uh, I mean, in a, in a pretty light movie, like, the implications are pretty terrifying. I mean, he almost drops his, I don't know what to call it, uh, grow-up disc, we'll call it, the blue disc, the big, the big boy disc, um... And, you know, that would have been a, that would have been it. We don't even know if he ever would have ran into Janet down there. The quantum realm seems like a big place. Um, yeah. I mean, it's literally like the whole universe. Yeah. It's wild. And I think, um, I mean, obviously we got a bit more of an in-depth look at that in the sequel. And I definitely think they'll be returning to it for the third one, considering the subtitle is Quantumania. But they, like, put some really cool, like, details in it, especially in the second one. But, like, in this, which is not something that I caught on the first or a second time that I saw this, when Scott is going back to normal size, you can see, like, a silhouette of the wasp, like, in the quantum realm. Like, as it's, like, flashing. Like, you can see, like, Janet, yeah. like, and, like, with the wings out, which I thought was really cool. Because, like, I don't even know how someone would have caught that on first viewing, but somebody always does tells you what's going on. And then, um, yeah, it kind of just ends with him not going back to jail. Yep. Paxton covers him. Cool, bro. It gets Hank thinking about the quantum realm. Him and hope are making out. It's a happy ending. Yeah. Uh, Cassie now has a giant ant as a pet, right? Freaky looking dog. What are our post-credit scenes? So the first one is, like you said, uh, well, Hank and Hope have made up. So Hank finally realizes that he can revisit his half-finished wasp prototype that he had been working on with Janet years ago and repurpose it for Hope. It looks pretty cool. It is cool. I think it looks pretty different than the one that we actually get. In I know, video, yeah. It is like it is a half-finished. Um, and she can fly, which is pretty. Yeah. Good. And she's got like blasters on it. Yeah. Which, if so I was Ant-Man, I'd be like, can I be one of those flying ants? Like that I don't have to have Antony all the time. Right. It seems reasonable. Like. Whatever. <laughs> and then what's our second postcard? Oh yeah. This is like <laughs> I mean, controversial. Well, not controversial, but. I mean, it was big because I don't think anybody expected it, but the second postcard scene it's just a scene from, Bucky. yeah, it's just straight out of Civil War. It's from the middle of Civil War where uh, this is after Bucky has, like, gone on his rampage again. No, what? Wait. No, they think it's him, but it's not. Griff, have you even seen this movie? Wait. It's not really Bucky. It's what's his name pretending Buc- no, to be Bucky. Bucky does go on a rampage at one point, and I'm well, trying to remember. Well, that's after what's his name um, gets him. It, I think this is after that part of the movie because Bucky like gets. That, I guess that does happen pretty early. Bucky like gets away, but then they chase him down. And Wait, that's but why, then he gets. That's why they have his arm point. clamped. Well, yeah, I know they have his arm clamped because they don't know if they can trust him. 
whatever. It's a Bucky scene. Either way. And we get, like, at the time, I don't remember my exact thoughts, but, like, it's giving you dialogue that is, you know, explained by stuff that happens earlier in Civil War. They're talking about the Accords. Things would have been easier a week ago. Like, Tony wouldn't trust us. All of which I think is a, a very interesting choice to be, like... Yeah, but I thought... So, I'm sorry. I know we're going to watch Civil War, like, soon, but I thought that, like, them blowing up the embassy was meant to look like Bucky, but it actually wasn't him. That's right. That's true. But then Bucky gets... Arrested. I was referencing, and then he gets re-brainwashed. Right. And then he does, like, fuck everybody up when he's escaping. Right. So I thought that scene was after that. Yeah, you're probably that's right. When, like, yeah, that makes Tony, sense. Because Tony was, like, trusting Bucky, and then... He got re-brainwashed, so he right. was like, all right, never Makes mind. Makes sense. What, well, and um, he finds out. Right. He killed But, I mean, this was really cool, because um, I, I think it probably worked really well as a hook for people that weren't expecting this movie to be an important tie-in to anything in the future, and people were really fucking hyped for Civil War. So, uh, unexpected place to get a teaser for it. Like, I don't remember how much it makes sense in the actual civil war movie to be like yeah we need ant-man right now because it doesn't really make sense to me watching it. i'm like when at any i know that he ends up like helping them but at any point are they like we need a tiny person <laughs> it's not that he's tiny they just like need help like they almost have no one on their side but I mean, they're they not to, like... planning on fighting tony at this point so like what do they need help with i mean i think they just I, I think they kind of know that Tony's going to come after them. I, I, I'm i happy to revisit this more when we actually have watched it, because, like, um, it's just not connecting with me right now. I think they just know that they're going to come to a head with the other guys. Um, and they, they need people on their side, because all like, they really are have they is, already like, on the run? Hawkeye. Yeah, I, I think so. Because they didn't They've sign. already been, like, they'd already been arrested once, I think, Captain. Ed, yeah. So... Um, okay. But yeah, I mean, really cool. And the whole like idea of just straight up clipping a scene from a movie, dropping it as the postcard is pretty interesting. Um, but definitely a successful hook and a guarantee that Ant-Man was going to show up in the next movie, which was very exciting at the time, even though that the gap between them was pretty significant. Uh, I remember that wait for Civil War being... Pretty agonizing, especially after the Spider-Man reveal in the trailer. Everybody was going apeshit for it. Oh, the Spider-Man in the Civil War trailer. Uh-huh. I thought you meant this. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> no, but I, I'm going to be... I mean, they do have a line where they're like... The, in that last uh, Louise monologue where they're like, we got a guy who flies, a guy who jumps, a guy who crawls up walls, and everybody's like, oh, is that a fucking Spider-Man reference? Uh which I think there are some people being like, no, they don't have the rights to him yet, but I think they secretly did at the time, so that's interesting. Behind the scenes at Kevin Feige. And I know you had asked me actually before if I was going to talk about the director of this movie. I had not touched on it before, but uh, I do find it pretty interesting, and I don't know why they picked him exactly, but you know, I had mentioned before, Edgar Wright was on board. Edgar Wright is a tried-and-true director of... Movies that have a lot of action and comedy in them. So it made sense. And then when he left, they brought in Peyton Reed, who was known at the time for doing Bring It On, The Breakup, 
in Yes Man, among others. Well, Paul Rudd was in Yes Man. That makes sense. I think. No, that was Jim Carrey. Oh. Never mind. All right, then never mind. Um, so I don't exactly know. Oh, and it looked like he was originally set to direct the original Fantastic Four. Um, I'm going to guess that his uh, his role as director when it was announced did not inspire a lot of confidence because people like looked at his track record and were like, yo, <laughs> why the um, fuck did they pick this guy? Bring it on is great. It involves a lot of stunts. So there. I think that was the exact <laughs> conversation that was had when they were hiring a new director. Um, I mean, I don't really know, you know, I, I but think they, they, we've talked about this. Like directors don't have to have a great CV. In fact, they preferred if they don't, it seems for Marvel. Yeah. I mean, that's like again, true. when you think about the Russo brothers, like coming in when they did, it's like, what made you think that these guys could pull it off? I mean, you were right, but yeah, I think they're, pretty pretty malleable to the studio but i mean hey it worked out for them um i mean i don't think peyton reed has like a particularly like unique directorial style but i think he did a good job yeah i mean the thing that's unique about this movie we already talked about is like getting to play with like size and like that stuff which i think any director like could have done so i don't think that's like specific to his style but he pulled that off well and did it in a fun way yeah i think a lesser director could have made it boring so he did not do that. But yeah, I mean, so uh, pretty interesting choice. Um, what was your favorite scene? Um, that is a very good question. Um, shit, I don't know. I made you think about it. Do you have one on deck? Yeah, mine's Locked the first time they rob the house for the suit and he has to like get the fingerprint and mm. freeze the door and all that fun stuff. That is a really good one. Can I just pick, like, the last monologue from Louise? Because I really like it. I thought you were going to say, like, the first time he be- he's Ant-Man. That Honestly, that was the first thing that came to mind. I just talked about it so much at length earlier. But, yeah, that's the best. But also, the last monologue from Louise is so fucking funny. And we haven't done a head-to-head in a while. Who, who do we want to match up against Ant-Man? Maybe from, like, DC or, like, a non-MCU. Oh... No, we've not done a head-to-head in a very long time. This is a tough matchup. Like, his power set is not really inversely proportional to anybody else. Like Literally what? not proportional. <laughs> like, what What would make for a good fight here? I don't know. Um, I want to see him in the Batman fight. Bat versus Ant. <laughs> the greatest gladiator match in the world. The, the Bat of Gotham versus the Ant of San Francisco. I think the Batman would win any Batman, but I partly because he gets tired. Yes. Ant-Man can't sustain a fight for too long, especially, obviously, when he goes big. He gets some good hits in, though. If, if Batman but also, he's got the armor. It's true. But if Batman didn't know what was going on, he could probably get a little bit fucked up by Ant-Man before he so caught too, on. I think yeah. But if he was like, if he knew Ant-Man was coming, this is the classic, if Batman has prep time. No just, prep time, Graf. Oh, then I think Batman would eventually win. But, I think Batman uh, would win, but I think it'd be a fun fight. Yeah. 
So he, like, would, uh, he would be on the ropes before finally taking out Scott. That's Batman sure. would be so mad. Oh, yeah. He'd be like, this is never going to happen again. <laughs> I'm Batman! I know I have a no-killing rule, but just this one time, because you're very annoying. I'll squash you like an ant! <laughs> All right, well, thanks for um, listening along with us, or listening to us. Um, next week, we have a fun movie coming up. You and will not expect it, but we hope you enjoy it. And then um, we'll eventually be back with the MCU and finally watching Civil War. I feel like we've talked a lot about it. so Very um, excited very to excited. finally get back around to it for sure. Uh, obviously, we talked a lot about it here. Some of us have some foggy memories that we will uh, clarify. In three weeks. Uh, expect more detailed thoughts. But there'll be other fun stuff before then. So until then, we, we are... are. Out, Out of, of the, the Superverse. superverse.